How many of you have ever seen a Christopher Nolan movie that you know of? Okay, a few, one. All right, this is going to go well then. Some, more of you have than you know it, okay? Here. You don't? Okay, well, that'll... Uh, that, boy, this is really going south fast. Um, yeah, I know. Great. So... He's the guy that did the set of Batman movies with Christian Bale, where Heath Ledger was the famous Joker that got the posthumous Oscar, right? Okay, so he makes, this is like the most normal movie that he's ever made, okay? And they were pretty dark, okay? Um, Most of his movies are not straightforward. Um, He tends to make movies that have a very complicated uh, plot, Um, they get more complicated over time, as it turns out. Um, he's kind of known for movies that you need to watch more than once. Like, and that can make them a little bit of a pain to sit through the first time because you really have to like grasp around as you're trying to figure out what's going on and can make it a little unpleasant on that first watch through, right? Um, his first big hit that got everyone talking was Memento. I don't know how many people have seen that. Um, the, what makes this movie tricky is the main character, just spoiler alert, it's like, but it's like 12 years old. I don't feel bad. It's probably more than that. It's probably 20 years old. Oh, I'm so old. Um, and so, uh, but it's, the, the main character has short-term memory loss. And so it's like every so often his memory kind of like resets and he's like, what's happening? Where am I? What's going on? And so you're trying to figure out what he's trying to figure out. And it's, so you're kind of like grabbing at the same straws of like awareness that he is as you're going through the movie. Um, another big one, this was probably one of his bigger ones, was the movie Inception. It's about being able to be awake in your dreams. Um, and then they find a way to have dreams inside of dreams, and it just gets really convoluted. Um, the movie's known for having kind of this mind-bending look where, because you know how dreams are bonkers and they don't make sense, right? Well, they kind of tried to, what would that be like if you could be fully aware in your dreams as you are in daytime? And so, like, there's, like, cities and streets, like, bending over on top, so you're, look, you're on the street, you look up, and there's a street and cars driving over you, and it's, it's real weird and real trippy, and the story is hard to follow. Um, but not to be outdone by himself, he comes along a few years later and writes Interstellar, which is about how time changes as you get closer to black holes, which is a real thing. But he was like, what if we made a movie about how horrible that would be and, and made it really long and really slow? And you're like, yeah, sign up, right? But because he made those really successful Batman movies, basically every studio is like, Christopher Nolan, you do what you want to do, man, and we're here to write the checks. And so that's how it is. But man, oh, man, I don't know if any of you have seen his latest movie, Tenet. Has anybody in the room seen it? Yeah, okay. I watched the whole thing, and I feel like I've only seen some of it. So it is one of the most difficult to watch and follow movies I have ever seen. I watched it just this week. And so I'm sitting there watching it, and I was an hour and a half into it, and I texted Abby. I was like, I'm an hour and a half into this movie, and I don't have a clue what I've seen. I don't know if I know what's going on. I kind of think I do, but I'm not really that sure. And then I watched the movie, and I'm like, okay, finished it. Two and a half hours of movie, still don't know if I get it. Still don't know if I know what happens. It's about how you can, it's about this machine that people make that lets them walk backwards through time. And so there's scenes where some people are doing things backwards, but then the other people in the scene, it's like you're watching it in reverse 
It was so incredibly difficult to watch. And I heard some people talk about it, and, and one guy said, it, if you watch it the first time, you're going to walk out of there going, I have no idea what's happening. But after like two, he said, sometimes he heard people say four watches is a good number. That's a lot of hours. That's like 10 hours of movie, right? He said, but after that, you really start to appreciate what's happened because you've really been able to follow the story. And once you kind of get a clue, you start noticing things in the early part of the movie that make the end make sense. Now, as exciting as all of that really seems, right? And everyone's really excited about these kinds of movies, right? Um, But strangely enough, there are a ton of people who feel this way, this kind of frustration when you approach the Bible, This idea of like, why does it have to be so hard to understand? Um, You know, in church we talk about, read your Bible all the time. And we're not the only church. A lot of churches encourage you, you should read the Bible. You should read the Bible. You see Bible verses posted on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and every social media in between. And yet, maybe you say, wow, those people make it sound so good. And then I crack it open and it's just so painful to open up and understand. And I know that I'm not the only person who's felt this way before. I know I'm not the only person who's read the Bible, read portions of the Bible, and then afterwards been like, I think I only caught like half of that. And the part that I think I got, I'm not even sure I really got that part. Like, I know I'm not the only person who's felt that way before. Uh, The Bible is a tough thing to read. It just is. And there are things in the Bible that seem clear, but they're mixed with other things that seem very convoluted and uh, just separated from the lives that we live, and they just don't make sense. And because of it being a tough thing to read, um, it can make you feel things that aren't positive, okay? You can feel frustrated, you know, uh, like Jeff who said, I don't like Christopher Nolan movies because they're frustrating to watch. Like if you've ever sat down, I just want to watch a movie, I want to know what's going on, I want to be entertained, and out you go. I don't want a headache after I watch a movie, like, because my brain was cranking over time. Like, you might feel that way when you approach the Bible. It's so frustrating. I don't know what's going on. Why does it have to be such a chore? Um, and after a while of being frustrated, it can kind of make you think, am I dumb? Because other people at church talk like the Bible is, re- like, reading it is a, such a joy, and it's such a wonderful, life-giving thing, and I open it, and I don't get any of it. And if you feel frustrated and feel kind of dumb long enough after reading the Bible, then you kind of just get apathetic and think, that's somebody else's thing to read, not mine. I'll go to church. I'll let Anthony tell me what it means. That's good for me. I'm not going to get it. I'm just going to check out, and that's just going to be a thing that I don't do much with my life because it's hard and I don't get it. But what if I told you that the frustration or the confusion that can come along with reading the Bible, what if I told you that that's normal. That that doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. It doesn't mean that there's something you aren't getting. It doesn't mean that there's necessarily something that makes everybody else smarter than you or they're more aware of stuff. What if it's just something that's meant to be a part of the way we approach the Bible? Because one of the most obvious mistakes that we make, and, and almost everybody makes this mistake, and we're not aware of it, but it's so common when we approach the Bible, is we assume the Bible's going to be straightforward. You assume, I'm going to open it, I'm going to read it, it's going to tell me things about God or my life or how I should live, and then I'll be able to close it and walk away with my day going, boom, been blessed by the Bible. And you open it, though, and you're like, I don't understand anything I'm reading. Jesus said some stuff that sounded like he was talking backwards, and I don't get any of it. 
right? And so it can kind of have this opposite thing of what you're thinking. You want the Bible to be straightforward, and other people talk like it's a straightforward thing to them, and it makes you wonder, am I missing something? Um, I remember kind of by the time, like when I started reading the Bible, I was, I think, eighth grade freshman year. And I'd been reading for a while at that point in my life. I had read full books against my will for English classes throughout the years. I had read chapters and textbooks against my will for various classes, um, but I'd also read things like comic books, instruction manuals, road signs, magazines. And so by the time I'm eighth grade freshman, it's like reading. I get it. I can do it. I've read things and I understand them. That's how reading works. And so then I start reading the Bible and it's like I am reading words, but I'm not getting meaning out of some of these words. And it became a very surprisingly new and frustrating thing because I had thought that reading was, yeah, you just get it and that's how it works. But maybe there's words you don't understand and you get a dictionary and you look them up back before, you know, in the dark ages before phones could just tell us everything. And so, uh, you know, you just went along. But the Bible was something totally and completely different because it was the first time I'd ever tried to read something truly ancient. I'd never, I mean, that's just not something we encounter a lot in our lives. We don't encounter ancient literature. And the Bible is ancient. The New Testament is 2,000 years old. The Old Testament is ancient inside of ancient because it's like between 4,000 years old and 2,000 years old. And so I didn't know that there were going to be these natural barriers that existed to reading the Bible and me understanding it. I just thought I'd crack it open and read it like I'd read everything else in my life up to that point. Now, throughout this series, we have talked about some of these barriers, okay? We've talked about that the Bible is this ancient, old thing, and that's going to, you know, there's cultural differences that we're not going to always be able to understand right away. We've talked about how the Bible, it's not one book. That's a big mistake that people make, thinking it's a book. It's packaged like a book, but it's actually a series of documents, and in the ancient world, it wasn't packaged like a book. It was packaged like groups of scrolls. And so it's a bunch of documents. It's a library all packed in to one uh, cover. Uh, we talked about how it was written to ancient people, by ancient people. And they looked at the world differently than us. They, they saw right and wrong differently than we do. They had different goals for their life than we do. And so it's no surprise that we come to the Bible, and it's hard for us to read. It's just a reality of it. But there's another barrier that exists that you don't even know exists that I, for a long, long time, didn't know exists. The Bible is a type of literature that we are not even aware of. And that presents a barrier that's there, but it's invisible. And that makes it all the more frustrating because it's one of the things that makes it feel difficult and makes it feel hard and makes it feel frustrating. And you think, I don't know why I can't get it. It's because there's a barrier that's there that you've never been able to see before. And the Bible is what is called meditation literature. Meditation literature. You've probably not been assigned meditation literature by any English teacher before. You probably never, you know, heard, got into a book club and read meditation literature. Okay? Here's what meditation literature is. It is literature that has layers of meaning that can only be fully understood through a lifetime of rereading and meditation. So the Bible is not, for the most part, intended for us to fully understand the first time we read it. No one ever taught me that. I just thought, I'm a moron. 
And you might have thought that about me too, but let's be nice. It's Sunday. It's Palm Sunday. And so, but, but that's kind of how it, it's, it's not something that's intended to be fully understood. That means when you approach the Bible and you walk away feeling confused, that's supposed to be a normal thing that should happen every so often. If you walk away thinking, I don't think I understood everything in that. It felt like there was more there and I just wasn't getting it for some reason. That is a normal part of reading the Bible. It has layers and layers of meaning, and it takes years to become familiar with it enough and tons of time thinking about it enough to where you can kind of start working through those layers and understand the depth of the meaning and beauty in its pages. So the Bible was meant to be this kind of endless well of wisdom. And honestly, if I was to expect it to be written by the God of the universe and not some random person trying to trick everybody into following some made-up religious system, I would expect it to be something that would take time to understand. I would expect the God of the universe to build his, this scripture, his scriptures to be this thing that takes a lifetime to work through, this thing that is always blessing us, this well that we can turn to again and again and again and still drink deeply from it and never drain it dry. And so um, some of you, though, you're You've been lifelong Bible readers, and you've encountered this in small ways. You've had parts of the Bible that you've read dozens of times, but there's one day where you crack it open, and you're reading something that you've read many times before, and all of a sudden, it just like jumps off the page at you. And there's something in a verse or in a passage or in a story that you notice for the first time, even though you've read it maybe 12, 20, 40 times before in your life. That's a little bit of how this is supposed to work. Um, in Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, it says this. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. So there's lots of verses, especially in Psalms, that talk about the Bible being this thing, the scriptures being this thing, that we come back to again and again. He says, and the word meditates is used very, very often. Now, I guess before we get too far into this, though, we should define meditation. Because when you hear the word meditation, you have a very specific idea of that word. And in fact, for a long time, Christians didn't like that word, even though it was in our Bible, because it made us think of like yoga and Hinduism and all these things that we thought, that's evil, we shouldn't be anything to do with that. Okay? We think somebody sitting crisscross, hands out, trying to clear their mind. Maybe um, muttering a, a mantra at home or words, you know, something over and over again to kind of, you know, focus and our, our, our thoughts and kind of empty our minds. Like, that's kind of what we think of. It's, that's uh, the more Eastern religious definition of meditation. But that's not what is being talked about here. Um, in fact, this is, the word meditates there. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. And so it gets translated into English. Um, in the original Hebrew, that's a Hebrew word, Hagah, and it just means to murmur or um, to, I like the word, it, it can also be translated as growl, uh, but to murmur um, something over and over again, to mutter to yourself quietly, that's what the word means. Um, I don't know if you've ever been like walking through your house and you're, maybe you're on your way to leave your house and there's one thing that you're like, I cannot forget this when I leave the house. 
And so you just kind of start saying it over and over. Don't forget the keys, don't forget the keys, don't forget the keys, don't forget the keys, don't forget that bill, don't gotta pay the bill, gotta pay the bill, gotta pay the bill, right? And so you're like saying it over and over again quietly to yourself like a lunatic because it's important and you can't forget it, right? That's kind of the idea that's being painted here, that we read some scripture, we read it a few times, we kind of get it in our brains, and then we just kind of walk back and forth through our day, just kind of every now and then muttering it to ourselves, thinking about it, trying to say it over and over again, almost like our, as if our brain is a dryer and the Bible is the laundry, and we just kind of want it to tumble around in there all day long. And so that's the idea of meditation. And by the way, the word gra- the, the way that it means growl, like if you mutter enough, like you can kind of understand that. Like it kind of sounds a little growly, right? That's kind of the idea that's getting painted here, that the Bible is something that we just let it think through over and over and over again in our minds. And we, whatever we've maybe read that particular day, that rolls around in our brain over and over again, and we just become more and more familiar with the words over time. And over the course of years and even a lifetime, the Holy Spirit uses that to open up those layers and show you the depth. The Holy Spirit uses your familiarity with the scriptures to help you connect dots you never knew were there. And it shapes you as well over time into the likeness of Jesus. And so the Bible has a ton of information and beauty and benefit in its pages. And it will not be noticed on your first pass. And that is okay. So if you've ever felt confused, you're not dumb. You're not wrong. There's nothing, there's no problem with you. That's just the way it was made. It is full of patterns and themes and connections between different parts of the story that were intentionally put there by the ancient authors um, and so that we would take the time to peel back those layers and understand it. But because we have nothing like it in our modern world, we don't even know to look for this stuff. We don't even know that it takes multiple times, and we don't even know how to recognize patterns and connections. And so it's going to take us time. It's just going to take time. And that's why the Bible, when I tell you, man, you should read your Bible. It's meant to be this lifelong kind of, part of your life, this friend that you carry with you everywhere you go. Um, so there's different ways you'll make these connections, okay, different conne- types of connections that you'll see. Um, one will be, like I said earlier, sometimes you'll read a verse over and over again, and finally something will jump out at you, okay? Um, I'm gonna, we're going to reread Psalm 1-1, and I'm going to show you something that I bet none of you even thought about the first time through, okay? But this is something to think about. He says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Now, on one hand, you read that through the first time, and you're like, okay, stand with them, stand, do this. Those three sentences about walking and standing and sitting, they're basically saying the same thing, that what you give your time and attention to is going to shape you. If you give your time to the bad stuff, it's going to shape you in not good ways. If you give your time to the good stuff and let God's word shape you, good for you. Okay? But when you really start noticing that progression of walking and standing and sitting, it kind of paints a, a little bit of a picture of how sin actually gets a hold of our lives. You know, first we're kind of walking by something that's going on and we kind of notice it and we give it a little bit of influence in our life. And then we stop. And we spend some time thinking, okay, what is going on here? I kind of like this. This is okay. 
And then we sit and we get comfortable and we stay in this thing with a sinful pattern that influences us over time. And so it kind of has this moment like, hey, what's going on here? Oh, okay, 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 yeah, I think I'm going to stay here for a bit. And so it kind of paints a picture of how sin progressively grabs your heart and your soul. How it's not just this instant turn away from God, but it's this slow, subtle thing based on what you're giving your life to. Now, did anybody think that the first time I read this a few minutes ago? No. It takes time, and that's okay. This is not something, by the way, a lot of this stuff, you guys, sometimes people act like I'm like the smartest person ever when it comes to the Bible. I have a lot of tools at my disposal. Like, just as those of you who are farmers, you have boxes and boxes of tools to help you repair things. I have all kinds of cheat things that tell me about the Bible that you don't have access to, um, or you just never chose to have access to. That's fine. So it's like, I'm not like, by any means, you can think, oh, he's just got it figured out. He's so much better. No, I cheat. <laughs> like, Monday to Saturday, I'm cheating so that when I show up on Sunday, you're like, wow, he knows so much. No, I just have people that kind of give these experts who have pondered it for years who kind of give me a, a hint into these little bits of insight so that I can kind of see them before I would ever naturally see them myself. And so it might take you 20 times of reading Psalm 1-1 before you ever start to think about the walk, sit, stand progression through there. But that's okay, because it's meant to be this thing that we notice over a lifetime. Now, sometimes what you're going to notice, though, and this is really common in the Old Testament, it was shaped so that there are repeated words and themes and patterns in stories throughout the Old Testament that when you're reading it, you go, man, this kind of sounds like that story back that I read a while ago. And there's connections between these two stories that when you read them, you'll notice the similarities, and there's something to think about there. And you'll notice differences, and there's something to think about there. Um, so let me just give you just one example of that, okay? Um, in Genesis chapter 3, we get the story of Adam and Eve eating from the forbidden fruit, right? The first sin, um, the fall of humanity. In Genesis chapter 4, we get the story of their two sons, Cain and Abel. And Cain murders Abel because Abel did the right thing and God was pleased with him. And Cain did the wrong thing and God was not pleased with him. And so Cain, like any older brother, puts the blame on the younger brother. I'm a younger brother. I know how this works. I have older son and a younger son and I know how this works, okay? Now what's interesting, and I, again... I had somebody point this out to me. I did not notice this on my own. I'm using this as an example. These two stories have a lot of things that are similar. And the Cain and Abel story was written in such a way to, sh to show a progression of sinfulness, to show the progression and intensification of how sin usually leads humanity not in the best possible direction. And you can see this in the world sometimes. Right now, we're witnessing atrocities on the other side of the world, and we sit and watch the news and go, how could anybody be this evil? How could anybody be, how could evil get so out of hand in the world and grab such a hold of people's hearts and lives? That's kind of what these two stories show us, how it progresses so quickly and rapidly. So, in Genesis chapter 3, you have a snake that's deceiving Adam and Eve, trying to trick them into eating this fruit that God told them not to eat of. And you can kind of read it like, I don't think this is supposed to be just a snake, because one, it's talking, and that's not typical. And so there must be some kind of spiritual being at play here. So what's leading Adam and Eve away is some sort of a, a being, right? In Genesis 4, sin becomes an actual character. 
And after Cain gets angry because his brother did the right thing when he didn't, he, God says, Cain, sin wants you. It wants to destroy you, and it wants to lead you down a very, very bad way. And so this shows the progression of sin being kind of the subtle force. It's like, hey, over here, to God's strip saying, sin's aiming for you. Sin's trying to take you out. This is not an accident. This is the way of the human heart. And then in, another thing, in Genesis chapter 3, God asks Adam and Eve, where are you? Because they were hiding from God. In Genesis 4, God asks Cain, where's your brother? Because Cain was trying to hide his sin because he'd buried his brother's body in the ground. There's a progression here from two people hiding their sin from God to someone hiding his sin from God, but it's a, the body of his brother. Like, that's something that just escalates so quickly. Um, in Genesis 3, there's a punishment involving the ground and how planting and harvesting is going to be tough. And then Adam and Eve get cast out of the Garden of Eden. In Genesis chapter 4, there's a punishment for Cain saying, farming is going to be hard for you. And then Cain gets cast out from the rest of humanity. He becomes ostracized from the rest of mankind. This shows, again, the consequences of sin and how they drive us both from God and people. And it puts wedges between us and God and wedges between us and people. Now, if you've never, again, if you've never noticed any of those connections, that's totally fine. These are layered books of meaning, rich, rich with things to understand. And like I said, the, the Old Testament especially is full of this stuff that ties back together. Sometimes even the number of like people in a story can be significant. They really were, I mean, every detail of this thing is so incredibly thought through. Um, and so um, if you read through story in, in somewhere in the Bible, and you think, that sounds like something else I've read before. It's not quite the same. That's an invitation to look back, to go hunting for that similar story that you've read before, to try to find out and read them together and compare them. But in order to recognize, you've got to be familiar with it. And that takes a lifetime of reading, a lifetime of letting it roll around in the clothes dryer of your brain so that you can understand it as time goes by. And again, if you aren't the kind of person you say, I've never noticed any of that stuff. That seems like a million years away from me being able to draw some of these crazy connections and understand how this story makes me understand that story. That's okay. That's okay. We're not here. God doesn't say, get everything out of it the first time or the fifth time. There's no, there's no command like that. He just says, come back to it. And you just mine that thing every day of your life and you meditate on it and you get every drop of nourishment from the scripture that you can. Maybe somebody next to you finds something else that's a little deeper than you. It doesn't matter. You're there to be nourished, not to win the Bible Bowl concert contest. And so, but the way that the Bible was written, it was lovingly shaped by people and by the Holy Spirit so that this would be something that we could come back to again and again and again and it would be an anchor and a joy for our lives. It was meant to be read and reread over a lifetime. It was meant to have meaning and beauty open up to us over time, slowly, as a flower slowly reveals its beauty to us in the springtime. And so the final Bible study principle I have for you, and I hope this is comforting, I really do, because a lot of people, they approach the Bible and they get frustrated with some of this stuff maybe that I've been teaching you, but this should make you feel so much better. Be comfortable with confusion. If it's confusing, go, it's okay. I don't have to grasp this the first time through, or even the fifth time through. 
depending on where you start and how you see the world, it might take you a little bit to acclimate and understand the world of the Bible so that you're starting to understand the meaning of the stories. Don't let confusion lead you to frustration and make you think, I'm done with this because I don't get it. No. Instead, remind yourself that confusion is simply an invitation to read it again and to think about it again and to med meditate on it again. And remember, not the uh, clear my brain meditation, but the fill my brain meditation with Scripture. Confusion doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. It doesn't mean you're unintelligent. It doesn't mean you're dumb. It doesn't mean you're lacking the skills that somebody else possesses. It was not meant to be understood on the first pass. The Bible is meditation literature, and we have no other thing to compare that to. It's a totally new animal for us, and so we've got to take our time and read it and spend serious time thinking about what we've read and letting it bounce around in our brains because it has layers of beauty, layers of meaning, layers of wisdom, layers of insight, and we are meant to spend a lifetime, a lifetime coming back to it over and over again, seeing new depths and gaining greater appreciation and understanding for this amazing story of God's redemption. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your word. And I do pray that we would shed some of our unhealthy views of Scripture. Sometimes we just want it to be like every other book that we're used to, but it's not. I pray that we would let the Bible be what it is. We would let your word speak for itself, and we would read it on its terms and not try to force it into some mold of this thing that we're supposed to get the first time through but we understand that you have built divine meaning, deep, rich meaning. And sometimes seeing those connections that, that unlock newer, greater things, it's just going to take time. And it's going to take us being familiar with the Bible. And that's going to take time. And so I just pray that we would be a people who value your word and are okay with being a little confused, who are okay with walking away from it some, some days going, I didn't get that, but, but thinking on it. And, and still being familiar with it so that one day something will click and we will get it. And so I do pray, Father, that you would give us patience. You would give us uh, a, a sense of, of confidence in you that you have designed it to be understood over a lifetime. And if we trust you and come back to it again and again, you will, you will reward us for that. And you will nourish us through your word and you will shape us through your word. Because we don't... Uh, it's, it's just one of the few things, Father, that we have that serves as such a, an amazing anchor in our life. And it's, it's such a deep well that we can never say, I'm full, because it's always got more for us. No matter how long we've been reading it, no matter how long we've been studying, it's always got more for us. And that's the beautiful thing about your word. And so we thank you for that. And I just pray, Father, that, again, we would take it seriously, and we would want to spend more time in your word want to spend more time giving your Holy Spirit room to work through these words that are ancient and life-giving so that we might be changed and shaped into the likeness of Jesus. It's in his beautiful name that we pray. Amen.